to Fiona. Number 174. The one where we ask you to turn in your Bibles to Hezekiah. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, you Theo Revivalists out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. Together we are... The Theonauts! I love doing that. Wow. Dude, I love our <laughs> intro music. It almost makes me want to start getting up and dancing and taking off my show. Wait, I mean, yeah. you know, just, just moving the around. The Theonauts! <laughs> One more time. <laughs> the the Theonauts! Hey, David. Hey, Jeremiah. How are you doing, man? I'm still alive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're not dead. No, not at all. We've just, you know, been waiting to hear from you guys. Theonauts aren't dead. We're surely alive. <laughs> we're living on the inside. <laughs> wow. uh, what have you been up to, man? Uh, School. <clears throat> yeah? Yeah, teaching kids English, reading and writing and stuff. Reading, writing, arithmetic. Today was past, present, and future verb tenses. Mm. You know, it's amazing how many kids get past and past participle totally mixed up. Oh, the ing junk versus yeah. the ed, and it's so annoying to me. Finally, I'm just like, eh, it's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to write it wrong, shish. you know, those are just terms that that I hardly use anymore. So even like, if you just asked me the difference between those two, I'd struggle with it. Really. Yeah. So what's the difference? No, I'm joking. <laughs> ED and ING. <laughs> I just gave that away, man. That's what I'm saying. Ain't cool. If you hadn't said that, I'd been like, just like your kids. Like, who walks around going, oh, that's a past participle? We theonauted yesterday. We are theonauting, or we theo we were theonauting. We have been theonauting. We have that's the, we have not been theonauting. <laughs> we have not been theonauting in quite a long time, actually. And we apologize to our fans out there, those of you who faithfully listen and stop and go, "What the junk? Where'd they go?" Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's I don't know. Our lives are hectic, but I'm I'm hoping that at some point we'll get back into our flow. You know, in those yes. early like hundreds, and we were just nailing them every week and yes. not having a problem. I don't know. What's the deal? What's wrong with us? As, you know, it's <clears throat> life, but you know. So I got to give a shout out to uh, <laughs> yeah. our our patron Saint Karen. Saint Karen, thank yes, you. Yes, thank you for being such a loyalist to us. Right, <laughs> your sweetheart <laughs> through our our uh, good times and our bad times. She sent me an email. Uh, us an email um, last week, and it just simply said the subject was "Hey, <laughs> hey." The message was "Miss you." <laughs> That's so, that is so I almost, sad. I almost cried. Oh man, it's like uh, you know, it's like when you haven't seen somebody in such a long time, and you're just reminiscing <laughs> of their face, and you're like. I miss you. We miss you too. Yes, of course. Absolutely. Then, then she asked how she could pray for us. 
Well, which was good. Yeah, pray that we get more Theonauts yeah. out there. <laughs> Light a fire under our behinds. <laughs> Start working on this a little bit more. So yeah. So anyway, let's see. Uh, we haven't done this in about a month. So no. what all has happened? We went to Emory in May. Yes, we saw a concert Saturday. We saw uh, the the band Emory. Emory's a cool band. May. They're a lot more progressive uh, in their their uh, theology. Do I want to say progressive? or They are progressive. Yeah. They're very progressive. And uh, they have a podcast called Bad Christian Podcast. And mm-hmm. if you haven't heard it, go go listen. Uh, we're not condoning <laughs> everything they say on there or anything like that. But it is interesting. It's a great take yeah, on... I, I actually like the podcast. Yeah, so David likes it. I'm, you know, I'm almost there. So it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. But it was a great show. It was awesome, man. They just rocked it. David lost. We went moshing. And granted, David, you're not you're you're fifty something. I'm just gonna put that. What no, no, no. Ever. You're forty something. Yes. You're like you're in your mid forties. <laughs> it's amazing. Yes, thank you for that. Watching this guy. <laughs> I'm in my mid forties. Somewhere. He's he's had his second midlife crisis by now. That's you know, it's a continual thing. <laughs> it's a, mm-hmm. it's it's not a midlife. It's just a life crisis right. for you. It's, it's just a natural. Thing. It's like, hilarious. I just haven't never grown up. But so. the point I was getting at was okay, go on. You go to a concert where there's moshing involved, and he is right in the thick of it. I'm telling you, he came back from one song, and he had fallen down at least once, <laughs> and he's breathing heavy. And I'm like, do we need to do CPR? And he's like, I lost my shoe, and he's putting it back on. And then he goes out and moshes some more and comes back, and he's like, I lost my other shoe, and he's putting that one on. And I'm like, I hope that whenever I'm his age, which is a long ways off for me, I mean way long, that I will be moshing like he is. And I don't even mosh like he does now. I, I worry about breaking something and not being able to move the next day. By the way, how's your wrist? Oh, it's fine now. I can move it all the way around. That's good. Yes. Awesome. Amazing how God lets our bodies heal with these stupid things. Yes. He's like, uh, he has mercy on the stupid. (laughs) He does. That's so awesome. (laughs) So anyways, we watched that. What else happened? Church is going great. Everything's running smooth. We have an awesome church. Um, Let's see. Blakely's two and a half, almost three. Yep. Life is just happening, man. It is. It's happening fast. It is. And it doesn't ever slow down, by the way. Nope. I wish it did. We need it to slow down so we can just record. The grandkids are getting way big. And <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. So um, Gracie is standing now. So Aww. She's, I don't know, eight or nine months at this point. Gosh. So feels like, feels like I yesterday. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> oh, I went to a jump park with Jesse. Oh, yeah. So that was interesting. So, uh, okay. He didn't break anything there either. Jesse's, I didn't break anything. So, Jesse's birthday, and he's all like, um, what's the name of this place? G Force. He's like, Pappy and I are going to G Force. (laughs) Like all week long. Are you excited for G Force? And he's like, I'm excited. Pappy's coming to G Force. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay. So, no pressure. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so G-Force is like this building. It's in Texarkana. It's like this building that is completely gutted out and filled from front to back with trampolines. Yeah. Like <laughs> connected trampolines. And it's all, all it is is jumping. I spent two hours <laughs> <laughs> jumping with my grandkids. 
And uh, I survived that. That's awesome. I only had one war wound on my elbow. It's cleaning up. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, if I had a granddad like you, I'd be pretty ecstatic to go to a jump park, too. It's pretty (laughs) awesome, man. But uh, It was a blast. Yeah, so. All right, (sighs) well, we ready to jump into this topic? Hey, let's do it. So any background on on why you chose Hezekiah? What yes. Any thought on this? This is a highly personal one for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been it's been personal to me. I first did this study. Oh man. <laughs> Several years ago. <laughs> whenever uh I was in the throes of Reformation in my previous life, my sure. previous church. And uh, it had a completely different meaning for me then as it has for me now. And um, uh, part of... There's been a lot of trials in uh, my life lately. It's been really kind of crazy. And here's the thing. I'm the type of guy, just like the jump park and the mosh pit. I mean, I'm the type of guy, I just like (laughs) full speed ahead. I try to do everything on my own. You're type seven. I am a type seven. If you're into Enneagram, <laughs> don't even get me started. I'm like obsessing. I'm like obsessing over Enneagram right now. I am a type seven. So go look that up and you'll see how crazy I am. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, so I tend to want to just do things on my own. Like I try to just, uh, I want to experience everything. I want to do it now. Sure. And um Part of the problem with that is that God wants it to be involved in my life. Right. Right. And so uh, whenever trials come, I end up, um, for well, not forgetting, but I just can't seem to give the burdens over. Like, I just can't seem to relinquish control of it sure. to him. And um, even though I know that logically, like, I theologically, I'm there, I'm completely completely on board with give it to Jesus, you know, but sometimes that's easier said than done. So Hezekiah actually, um, this, this is, uh, was a really weird thing. Okay. So I won't go into any details, but I went through this traumatic, um, um, issue that happened, personal issue that happened and I had the sermon the next day, and I was thinking, there's no way I can put this sermon together. Like, there's no way. Well, first off, it was kind of sprung on me. Um, I wasn't expecting to have to give the sermon, but it, but it came on me in the midst of this trial, and I kept thinking, there's no way I can do this. Right. And so I opened up my... Uh, my uh, portfolio of... Your bag of tricks. <laughs> of past sermons. Your ancient sermons. And I was yeah. like, I'll just pick one of these and we'll be done with it, right? What, what pastor has not done that at some point? <laughs> I have I have a whole hard drive full of stuff that I'm like, eeny, meeny, meeny. Okay, the problem we'll is a lot of mine in my past, I got like, I don't even agree with that anymore. What was I thinking? <laughs> but anyway. So uh, so I pull this one up and I'm like, okay, this is a good one. It's, a, it's not really expositional, but it's kind of... Mm-hmm. Out of the Old Testament, and I was like, "Okay, uh, I'll do this one." And I start reading through it. I'm going, "Wow, God!" Like, 
<laughs> thank you. Like this was exactly what I needed in the moment. Sure. And so my sermon was highly personal. Like I wasn't talking to talking to anybody but me. It was just like you got to let things go. You got to give things over to G- to Jesus, to God. And uh, that's what Hezekiah does. And so um, let's turn to the book of Hezekiah. <laughs> <laughs> I do that. Gotcha. I love doing that because people start flipping <laughs> into their Bibles. I can't find it. Is that one of the that's minor a, prophets? That's got to be an apocrypha. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like Book of Asher. Yes, you won't find the Book of Hezekiah. Uh, this this story actually comes from a couple of different places. Uh, Kings and Chronicles, Second Kings, Second Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Those are, um, if you're not really familiar with them, they're, they tell a congruent story. Uh, between the two of them, Chronicles is a little drier than uh, Kings. Shocker, <clears throat> but they kind of tell the same thing, and so uh, I bounce back and forth so I can get the full-bodied message. Sure. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about Hezekiah, and um, so to do that, we needed to, to kind of set the stage, see where we're at in the history of Israel, Israel at mm-hmm. this time. So Hezekiah is a king of Judah, which is the southern kingdom. Right. So back up there just a little bit, there was, everyone remembers King David, everybody remembers King Solomon, that was whenever it was one kingdom of Israel, but after Solomon died, uh, things got a little hairy. Uh, there was, to say the least. Yeah, there was Rehoboam and there was Jeroboam, and it was like, which one is the rightful heir to the throne? Rehoboam's like, um, he basically gave the, the right to me, Jeroboam's like, uh, nope, I'm taking it. And so there was a, not really a civil war, but there was a split, and the kingdom went in two different directions. Right. Uh, part of the kingdom went north and basically abandoned God. I mean, yeah. because they left the temple. They left everything, and they started, uh, they started dwindling. Like, over the next several hundred years, they, um, one king after another was just poorly managed. Made horrible mistakes. Went away from God. They started sacrificing into the high places, uh, just like the pagans were. Yep. <clears throat> it just slowly went away from God. What, uh, you might know uh, some of these names like Ahab and Jezebel, those people. They were up in the northern kingdom. Right. And uh, so anyway. Evil, evil people. And, you know, it's a it's a great picture if you ever <clears throat> want to do a study apart from Hezekiah. If you ever want to do a study in choosing your own way versus choosing God's way, look at how the kingdom split and then what, what the effects of that were. Yeah. So the southern kingdom, they fared better. But they still didn't do great. Right, absolutely. They had their ups and downs. It was very much a roller coaster. If you go through the Book of Kings, you start seeing this whole roller coaster ride of uh, a king would go crazy and like completely serve pagan gods, and then his son would come along and revive, knock and, down all those pagan gods, open back up the temple. Yeah, and this happened several times. Yeah. and you've got uh, you've got all these these. Uh, Good revivalist, which gives us a good story. And that's Hezekiah is one of these. Right. He's a revivalist. He's in the southern kingdom. His dad, Ahaz, was a horrible king. He didn't follow, um, he didn't follow God. But anyway, uh, the southern kingdom, I mean, the northern kingdom, ends up falling to the, the global power of the day, which was Assyria. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they get defeated. They get totally wiped off the map. And uh, so the time frame that we're looking here of Hezekiah is the southern kingdom after that happened. Right. So the northern kingdom's gone now. They've been totally wiped off the map. Um, Taken into captivity. 
taken into captivity captivity of Assyria, bred out. Right. In fact, that's why we have Samaria. Samaria. That's why you have all the Jews who don't like these Samaritans. Right. The Samaritans are half-breeds between uh, the northern kingdom and the Sam- and the Assyrians. So um, so you have this, this thing. Uh, Assyria was knocking on the gates of Judah. Um, King Ahaz, which is uh, Hezekiah's dad, mm-hmm. uh, King Ahaz... Uh, manages to survive and keep Assyria from attacking the southern kingdom by compromising. Yep. And so um, it's a good picture of um, of what cowardice will do when you don't put your trust in God. <laughs> right. And so um, <clears throat> Ahaz takes the throne when he's like 20 years old. Um, he reigns like 16 years in Jerusalem. Um in 2 Kings 16, it says that he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God and his father David, had, as his father David had done, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, talking about the northern kingdom. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So he, 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 he sacrifices his son on an idol, uh, and so um, some of this would be better if we had pictures, of, but there's a <clears throat> there's this, this artist rendition of this event, and uh, I believe it's Moloch that he's sacrificing the infant to. Right. So what they would do is they would heat the hands of the idol of the idol until they were red hot, and then they would put the infant in the hands of the idol, and of course the heat would kill, kill the it. child. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> horrible. So if you can imagine, this is supposed to be a man of God. This yeah. is supposed to be, he's... He's committing infanticide. <clears throat> he's the steward of God's kingdom on earth, right? Yeah. And this is what's happening. So he definitely uh, has fallen a long way. Um, so he, what he ends up doing is he robs a temple. He takes the silver and the gold from the temple, and he offers it as a tribute to the king of Assyria. And this is how he keeps peace. This is how he keeps Assyria from attacking. Right. This is really what Assyria wants. They've basically conquered Judah without firing a shot. Like right. that's what they want anyway. Um, they don't mind that you know you do your own godly thing just as long as you serve. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, so that's what he did. Um, the, it says the king of Assyria marched up against Damascus, which is in Syria. So don't get Syria and Assyria confused. They're two different things. Uh, so instead of attacking Judah, he goes up and he takes the king of Damascus and uh, carries them captive. Um, and so it says whenever King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet tilgath Pilazer, the king of Assyria, he saw that an altar was there in Damascus and the king sent to Uriah, his priest, a model of the altar and its pattern, exact in its details. Like, in, in other words, do this. Right. So he's appeasing, mm-hmm. even whenever it comes to religion. And so this is uh, this is what um, <clears throat> what Hezekiah is going to inherit. So one of the things I was looking at when looking at this is there's a passage in. Do you have your Bible? Yeah. Okay, let's look at Second uh, Chronicles twenty nine. Okay, verse seven. Second Chronicles twenty nine, verse seven says, 
And do you want this in the ESV? Sure. All right. Let me pull up my ESV because I was, for some reason, in the KJV. That would still work. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm not about (laughs) to do that. Uh, Verse 7, let's see here. (laughs) They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Okay, so... What I want to start doing is kind of building a model here for our life as well. Sure. So you have uh, what's going on in Judah at this time. They've shut the doors of the vestibule or inside the the temple. Mm -hmm. They've put out the lamps, so the menorah, the 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 holy light uh, candles. They they've they've put them all out, and they weren't offering any burnt offerings. Right. So have we? done the same in many ways. So do we end up closing our doors to God? You know, we shut him out because that's basically what they were doing. They're closing the doors of the temple. We're not going to go in there anymore. And uh, so in other words, that's where God dwelt right. for them. So <clears throat> so closing the doors is symbolic for us of closing our hearts. Uh, lamps or the fire of the spirit, which is within us. And so they've put out the lamps. And so many times in our lives, whenever troubles come along, we shut God out. We we put out the lamps. We our fire's gone out. We're not we're not on fire for God. Um, and it says that they weren't offering any burnt offerings, which is their worship. Like they weren't worship, they worship, worship worshiping yeah. God. And so the more that I have looked at this and studied this, this I really believe we give worship. Um, like we don't we don't. We don't understand exactly how important worship really is. Like it's, it's the it's the most intoxicating thing to God, and so it's so important for us to be in worship. Right, and that could be you know, and I'm not just talking, I'm not saying go to church. I'm not just trying to preach attendance here, but in everything, like you can worship God through uh, praising him for what he's created, what he's done, what he's, what he's done in your life. I mean, there's so many things to praise God for. Like, he's everywhere, and he's done everything for us. Right. And so... Well, and we, we're created for worship. Yes. The whole like reason... we're wired for it. Yeah, the whole reason we're, we're born is to give God glory and, and bring him glory in our worships and our offerings and in, 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 uh, in having that fire and, and in going to God. And so... They snuffed out the very reason they were born, when, right? When you look at it like that, I, and in actuality, what you do is you shift it yeah. to something else. That's right. You yeah. end up worshiping, worshiping yourself, or you end up worshiping Moloch, something Moloch, or somebody <laughs> else for another reason. Sure. Like obviously, he's worshiping Moloch not because he necessarily believes in Moloch; but he wants to appease the people that that are uh, right threatening so him. You, you're going to where the pressure is, right? Like you're you're greasing the the squeaky wheel, yeah. And um, and so we do this in our lives, and so this is the state of Judah. I mean, we look at that and we go, "How can these people be where they are, knowing where they came from?" Yeah. And and we do that with the children of Israel all the time. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? We're really no different. No. It's just more pronounced in their case. Like they're a, they're they're a hyperbole of us. Mm-hmm. Like we we see what they're doing and what they should not have been doing. But yet, if you really turn this inwardly and look inside, we do this all the time. Just like I was saying, he's like I know logically that I should 
give this stuff over to God. But inside, it's so hard to do that whenever you're on the throne. Like you, you're constantly uh, wanting to be in control. What have I done? I've shut the door. I've turned off my lamps. I've, I've stopped worshiping because I'm too busy taking care of business of my own. <laughs> and so anyway, um, enter Hezekiah. So he's a revivalist. He comes in. He's the son of, of Ahaz, which I'm always confused about this. Like, how does a guy who's raised by an idol-worshiping compromiser, how does he... I mean, it has to be spirit-led. Like, it has to yeah. be God-breathed. But anyway, Hezekiah comes in, and um, uh, you still have Second Chronicles 29 there? I do. Let's look at uh, verse... Let's go back a little bit to verse 3 and read through, um, I don't know, a little ways. Until you say something. Sure. All right. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square in the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the fifth uh, sorry, carry out the filth from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what is evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. That's a big habitation. <laughs> Pretty powerful. Yeah. Okay, so the next verse is the one we just read <laughs> right. about them shutting the doors of the vestibule, putting out the lamps, and not offering offerings. But notice what he, he says here. He's like, look, this is what we got to do. Right the opposite of that. Like, we need to first open the doors and then consecrate the house. Get it ready for worship. Get it ready for, uh, make it holy again. Like, get, that's what consecrate. Yeah. Get, uh, get it ready means. for habitation. Yes. Allowing God to dwell. Take the filth out of the way. Yeah. Like, move it. And, and it's obviously... You know, when we look in our own lives, we're going to be filthy. We're going to have, I mean, even like Isaiah says, our best is filthy rags. But sure. but the thing is, we are doing our best to excise that or replace it with holiness, with with um, a willingness to serve and worship, mm. uh, lighting the fire, turning that fire back on. Mm. Um, but, it, but he says that... Uh, uh, let's see, let me look down here over a uh, second. He says, Behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Like, he, he's he's like, do you not realize that the reason why we're dealing with all the problems we're dealing with is because we haven't been giving things over to God. Mm -hmm. Like, we haven't, been, we haven't been focused on who can really save us. It's not in our compromise. We're, we shouldn't be serving the God of Assyria or the, the king of Assyria. We should be, um, we should be serving our God and letting Him take care of us. Amen. So um, He says, "Don't be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in His presence, to minister to Him, and to be His ministers, and to make offerings to Him." So it's like He's chosen us to be ministers. He's chosen us to make offerings. And it's our privilege to do so. Yeah. It's our joy to do so. This is a this is something else that's very interesting to me. Who's he talking? He's talking to the Levites right right here. Yeah, he's these are these are the chosen people that God has set aside 
to run his house. The priests. The priests. <laughs> the very ones that are supposed to be the spiritual. And what what have they done? They've been silent and turned tail and neglected their duty. Mm-hmm. When when God has specifically chosen them to be the minister. And Hezekiah, the king, is chastising him them here. It's like, you guys, you've, you've been negligent. Mm-hmm. You've chosen not not to do what God has chosen you to do. You've done the very opposite. Right, right. You allowed Moloch in. Who did who did uh, his dad call but the chief priest? Yeah. And yeah. have him build a statue of Moloch. Yeah, here's here's the the <laughs> temple plans right. from Damascus. Go yeah. do this. Yeah. If if that chief priest would have been doing what he was supposed to do, he would have been like, No, <laughs> sorry. You know, yeah. but he neglected it. Anyways, I just th- find that interesting. Well, and the thing about revival is um, revival never goes unnoticed by those who don't want revival. Yeah. Right? Okay, now, <laughs> now here is where my type comes into play. I like change. Mm-hmm. I thrive on change. And a lot of people, most people don't. <laughs> um, but here... Whenever change happens, whenever change starts coming, people get irate. People get up in the trees. Yeah. And especially when you're talking about religion. What? You mean, whoa, this is what my dad and my granddad and my granddad's dad, this is what <laughs> they all believed. And you're telling me that it needs to be something else? I don't think so. Like, that's... <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've gone down that path with people. And it's like, well, who wrote the Bible? Your granddad? <laughs> I don't think so. Like God did. Sometimes we have to reset because our dads can mess up. Right. Our granddads can mess up. And I'm sorry if that doesn't fit into your sure. your mold. But look at Hezekiah. He didn't. He wasn't saying, "Well, my dad did this, so it must be right." No, he went back to the, to the Word of God and was like, "What are we doing?" So, whenever you do that, it gets noticed. Mm-hmm. And Assyria took note mm-hmm. of what was going on um, in chapter thirty of Second Chronicles. It says there was great joy in Jerusalem, <laughs> so everyone's digging on it. Hey, this worship thing's pretty cool. Uh, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this mm. in Jerusalem. So think back to those days. Like, okay, Solomon, during his reign, everything was chill. It was cool. There was no, okay, David was fighting wars his whole life. Solomon comes along, and it is prosperity and party time. Like, right. there's no war. They don't have, it's, it's. It is the pinnacle. It's the golden age, though. Yes, of of the king of the kingdom of Israel. Of course, Solomon gets a little complacent. Things go south near the end of his life. But um, that being said, is they are noticing mm-hmm. things haven't been this good since Solomon was king. Wow, we're back in business. Um, but in Second Chronicles thirty-two, chapter one or verse one, it says, "After these things." And these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. Mm. So 
obviously stopped getting um, um, tribute, and it became a thing. Yep, and that's a it's a natural truth in the world. Whenever you whenever you consecrate yourself to Christ, you become a new creation. Things are awesome mm-hmm. for a while, but the truth is is that Satan hates that. Yes, and you live in a world that's that's evil inherently, and and you're going against that grain, and pretty soon that grain is going to come knocking, and it's gonna it's gonna try to try to squelch this yeah this peace and this prosperity that's in your heart once you've consecrated your life to Christ and once you've given things over to Him, and once you you know once you've cel- celebrated Him, and so uh, this is exactly what this is a picture of. Of a Christian coming under fire, uh, um, Assyria comes a knocking. Yeah, at some point. So you know, and this is one of the major issues we've had. We have with this prosperity, typical prosperity gospel, that's man right. to claim it, all that stuff. It's like um, that's not exemplified. Like in in scripture, whenever someone starts to serve God wholeheartedly, they don't get lavished with gifts. No, like that. Generally, that doesn't happen. I mean, Solomon may be an an exception to this rule, but most of the time that doesn't happen. Most of the time what happens is the flip side of that. Uh, Things start getting difficult for for you. And and so uh, this is a great example of this because the enemy comes after you whenever... And here's why. You're a threat. (laughs) Right. If you become a threat to Satan, do you think he's just going to chill on it and go, "Oh, okay, that guy's a little too spiritual. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to go to somebody else." No, he wants to target. Like that is you're his perfect target whenever you are on fire. When the doors open, when the lamps are lit, and when offerings are going up, guess who's coming to town? Right. And he's going to try and knock you down and and bring you back under where you belong, you know, in his mind. So um, you have Second Chronicles 32. 32, uh, look at verse uh, 2 to 4. Okay. <clears throat> and when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib, did I say that right? Sennacherib. 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 That'll work. Sennacherib. Had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city, and they helped him. A great many people were gathered, and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? Okay, so this is this is a guy on fire for God, right? So th- he's in tune to how to deal with the enemy mm-hmm. immediately because he's been so on fire for God. He doesn't say, okay, how are we going to deal with this? Instead, there's a snap thing that comes to him. And the first thought is, okay, you can't lay siege to a city in the Middle East without water. Water, yeah. yeah or food for that matter. But water is very important because, you know, it's not like you had a car and you could just drive up and drive away whenever you needed more water. Right. No, these guys had marched here from, um, from miles away and now they're camping out and they're going to wait you out. Like that's what this whole, uh, warfare, how it worked. So the first thing Hezekiah thought of 
why should they come here and get water? So they stopped up all the 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 springs. And uh, just a side note to this, if you go to Jerusalem today, one of the major tourist attractions at uh, in Jerusalem is the Tunnel of Hezekiah. And no one really knows this for sure, but they think that this tunnel was created by Hezekiah during this time frame. And the reason why is because they, the Bible says they, they shut off all the, the spring water. So what was happening was he redirected it. Right. And so through these tunnels, they had these, these aqueducts, and they had plenty of water within the city. So they're sitting back fat and happy while the guys outside the walls are, are dying of thirst. Right. And uh, so, but this is a good picture of how you deal with the enemy. Like the more you feed, the more you you um, the more you give sustenance to the enemy. The more power you give him, the harder it is to defeat him. Mm, that's good. So the first, so what he's he what his idea here is is why should he come here and get sustenance? Why should he come here and get water? I'm going to shut that off. And so in our lives, whenever, whenever we are on fire for God and all of a sudden Satan shows up at our door and he's trying to shut things down, the first thing we have to do is starve him and say, okay, I'm not going to feed this. You know, you're causing me to doubt myself. You're causing me to question God. You're causing me to, to don't feed those things. Right. Like shut that stuff down because that's the more we allow him to, to uh, exist in our environment and to sit outside our walls, the harder it's going to be for us. Amen. So, um, so what happens next is Hezekiah then begins to uh, prepare. Uh, in chapter 32, um, look at verse 6 through 8. This is, oh, it's still Second Chronicles. Oh, Second Chronicles 32? 32, 6, 6 through, through 8. 8. Okay. <clears throat> and he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So this is like, man, it's the best pep talk ever. This mm-hmm. is this is like what we need to be um, saying to ourselves whenever we're in the situation, whenever we've given things over to God, and all of a sudden the enemy comes to call. And his, his message is, be strong, be courageous, stick with this, you're... You're on the winning side. God's already won this battle. All you have to do is stand firm in it. Don't be dismayed when you hear all the shouting coming from across the wall. Right. Um, he he like there's a horde with him. I get that. But you know what? God has a greater army than any of this. And they're all on our side. Right. And that's so hard to, um, to visualize. It's so hard... To see, it reminds me uh, of one case where um, I believe it's Elijah mm-hmm. is dealing with with a situation that's similar, and he's talking to one of his servants, and his servants goes, well, "You know, we should just turn back. We just we should run away. We should just run away." And he's like, "No, you don't understand. Open his eyes, Lord!" And all of a sudden, he could see like this army of angels and chariots surrounding the enemy. Right. And so, 
that's what Hezekiah is saying here. He's he's saying there's more with us. Mm-hmm. You got the God of the universe, the guy who created everything on your side. Why in the world are we scared? Right. Why are we... Um, Did you just say a scared? A scared. <laughs> why, are, why are we a scared? It's <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. so anyway, um, it says the people took confidence uh, yep. from his words. And of course, they didn't let up. There's still all kinds of uh, things that are happening. In 2 Kings 18, it talks about how um, the guy on the other side of the of the gate, which is uh, Rabshakeh, he's like the, the messenger that comes from the king. He starts shouting at him, and he says, Hear the word of the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. So he's like constantly shouting and telling him, Don't listen to your king. Your king doesn't know anything. We've killed... Many uh, nations, right. you're, you're just a drop in the bucket. We'll take you out like everybody else. Um, he's like, and then he starts telling them, you know, if you just come out one by one, we'll take care of you. You know, you'll each, we're not going to take your land. We're not going to take your water. You can have everything you have now. You just serve us. And so, which is enticing. Right. But none of them said anything. They were silent They because they were told not to say, not to answer him. And they came to the king, and they were like, um, okay, what are we going to do? Um, and Hezekiah, they came to Hezekiah, and they tore, tore their clothes, and they were like, what are we going to do? So all these words of the enemy, they keep coming. They keep, they keep barraging us. Just words, but it's seeping in. Wow, how are we going to escape this? He's right. He's right. I mean, we start thinking right. in those terms. And how many times is Satan telling us, you're never going to win this. You're never going to beat this. This sin is going to take you down. You've always had this sin. This sin is never going to be able to be conquered. You know, or you're worthless. Your dad always told you you're worthless. Your mom told you you're worthless. You're a worthless person. You should listen to them. You know, those are the, those are the words of the enemy that keep coming at us. All the time. You're never going to fix this problem. This problem's always going to be with you. And, um, and so what do we end up doing? We end up just like these guys. We, we start tearing our clothes. And we're like, you're right. You know, we don't stand a chance. Right. One of the biggest things that, that he tried to do was throw doubt on God himself. He basically said, you know, we've conquered countless mm countless kingdoms who say that they have the one true God and we've put them to shame. Yeah. Why are you any different? None of those idols exist anymore. We've burned them all. Exactly. So what makes you think that your God is any any more special? And mm-hmm. tried to make them doubt the one thing that they could have hope in, which was that God would rescue them and that God is real and that God cared for them and, and that their worship was true and um, because it was to the real God. Mm-hmm. And so that was the biggest, you know, that was the biggest thorn of doubt. And I think that that's one of Satan's biggest uh, um, arguments is to try to convince us of... God doesn't love you. The, yeah, some kind of reality where God doesn't either exist or love us, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, and so, it, you know, be be on guard for that because that's that's so the enemy's biggest strategy yeah you know is to convince us of that yeah he's going to constantly come at you with doubt and fear right and these are all enemy or weapons of the enemy right like um 
when you start feeling those those tinges of doubt where you start thinking, you know, maybe this God thing isn't real. Mm. You know, maybe I'm just imagining this. Maybe I'm just being brainwashed into this. You start, you know, ruminating on those things. Right. And that's why spiritual leaders are very important. Like spiritual people that you can... Because, okay, first I want to say spiritual leaders are nothing more than men. Right. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying... I'm not saying to look up to somebody um, as a total authority um, in this matter. What I'm saying is find someone you trust that can support you in this. because Undergird you with the <clears throat> truth. Right. And that's what we do that for each other. Sure. I mean, the leaders need that too. Oh, and, yeah. and they reach out. They need to be reaching out to one another. If they're not, they're going to struggle. They're going to fall just like anybody else. Sure. I mean, we're all, we're all in this mess together. Right. And uh, thank God we have one another. That's... That's what we are here for. That's right. what the church is. It's the body that fits perfectly together. And so what does the king do when the people come to him with this? They come to him and they say, look, the guy's saying that all these other gods have fallen. What makes our God any different? How are, how are we going to survive this? Mm. And Hezekiah himself tears his clothes. And he says, you know what? I can't answer these questions. Let's go to Isaiah. Let's go. Let's go find Isaiah. Isaiah's the guy. He's he's the one who talks to God. Go ask him. And so he sends an entourage to go talk to um, Isaiah. This is in Second Kings nineteen. And uh, what what I love about this is that Isaiah doesn't bother coming. <laughs> he's right. like, oh, you got problems over there? Here, let me give you some words of encouragement. And this is this is like Isaiah's in total involvement in the entire story. <laughs> Isaiah basically says, it says here in 2 Kings 19, Say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you've heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land. And I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So this is all Isaiah tells him. Yep. God's taking care of it. Just now, trust. Now notice that none of this is, he's not saying God's going to give you strength to fight. Like God's going to empower you to be a great and mighty warrior. No, it's not the message. <laughs> the message is chill on it. Yeah. Trust, faith, relax. You don't have to do anything. Put it in God's hands. Lay it at his feet. Let him worry about it. Right. And he's like, God's already got a plan. And I'm telling you right now what his plan is. He's going to put it into this dude's ear that there's another problem. He's going to draw him away. And then whenever he gets home, he's going to have him killed in his own land. Like, the, like there's not even going to be a war. Right. And um, so whenever... Um, Whenever they get back to Judah, ex uh, exactly this ex the exact thing that Isaiah says happens. It says in Second Kings nineteen. Um, do you have that there? I have Second Chronicles thirty two. <clears throat> jump over to Second Kings nineteen. Let's let's read this for a minute because this is um, this is kind of cool. Okay. Be because this is what um, this is kind of uh, of what's coming based on 
what Isaiah said. So 2 Kings 19, beginning in verse 9. Right. Verse 9, it says, And when he heard say of Tirhaka, king of Ethiopia, behold, he has come out to fight against thee. He sent messengers again unto Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall ye speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. By the way, I'm in King James. Yeah, I noticed that. That's really saying, cool, though. Saying, <laughs> let not thy but God... Your, but your your English accent dwindled. Yes. <laughs> let not thy God, <laughs> in whom thou tr- trustest, trustest, that's great, yes. deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold... Thou hast heard what the king of Assyria has done to all lands by destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them which thy fathers hath destroyed, as Gozan and Haran and Rezpeth and the children of Eden, which were in Thel... Thel I feel like I'm in Monty Python's Holy Grail at this point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they feasted on <laughs> the lambs <laughs> and the orangutans. Yeah. So but the point here is that the king gets a message that says, um, by the way, there's problems in Ethiopia. There's problems in Cush. Probably need to take care of that. Right. Now, isn't that exactly what Isaiah said would happen? He said he's going to plant this seed of doubt in his head that he's going to have to go and take care of a problem. So that's what he does. The king leaves, and he goes to deal with this problem in Ethiopia. But he says, but he sends a letter back. Mm-hmm. And the letter basically says the same thing he's been shouting over the walls, um, that tell this to the king of Judah, don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you. And promise you deliverance. No other God has ever been able. And then he lists a whole list of, of gods and lands that they've defeated. And he's and puts all this in a letter. Um, now, here's where things are interesting to me. So, so Sennacherib writes this letter to the king of Judah saying, Okay, you've been judged and we're coming after you. That's basically what the letter right. says. Um, don't let your don't trust in your God. Yeah, it's not don't happen. trust God. We're we're coming after you, and you don't stand a chance. So I want to take this back just for a minute to my past. So where this study part of this study really resonated with me in my past was um, in my in my old church family there was there was a tradition of letter writing. It was a very popular way of dealing with problems. So there would be a council of sorts. Uh, Churches would get together. They would agree on something. They would write a letter. They'd send it out to every church they knew of, um, warning against someone they disagreed with. Don't listen to so-and-so. He's, you know, it was like all these letter writing campaigns that happened. Wow. And so these letters would get passed around. People would get uh, disfellowshipped, quote-unquote, or however you want to put, whatever title you want to put on that. Anyway, I had the privilege of probably being named in a letter or two. <laughs> nice. But, but anyway, the thing is, when you're in that situation, it's unnerving. Like, what? I'm being, like, slandered? I'm being... <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like... Figuring out how to deal with this was really hard. And then I get to this 
passage that we're about to look at here, and um, and I looked at how Hezekiah was dealing with it. And so now it has multiple layers for me. It has this layer of, okay, he gets a letter that is frightening, but we're going to see what he does with it. Um, let's look at Hez- at uh, Second Kings. <laughs> start to say it. Let's look at the Book of Hezekiah, Second <laughs> Kings nineteen, um, and look at fourteen through nineteen. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, I can never say Sennacherib, <laughs> crab. Um, and he, ha- uh, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, Save us, please, from from his hand, that all the kingdoms of earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. So what I love about this is that Hezekiah takes his problem, which is written down on a piece of paper in the form of a letter, and instead of dwelling on it, worrying about it, sweating about it, he takes it to the temple and he puts it down in front of God and says, Lord, you deal with this. I don't know what to do. I can't fix this. This guy has defeated every nation and destroyed all their gods, but I recognize that those weren't real gods, but you are. And so deal with it for me, please. And um, I love, I, I have a picture here also that went with the study the, uh, of an artist rendition of the king of Judah. I love this picture. It's like the king of Judah. He's in like sackcloth. Like he's not in royal garb at all. Mm. He's on his knees in the temple with the letter laying at it, at his knees in front of him, basically saying, this is you. This You're the one who's going to be able to handle this, not me. <laughs> and this is what's so hard for me to do like this is so hard for me not to put on my armor and pull out my sword and start climbing the wall like i i i find it really hard to just go into the temple and throw my problems down and throw them at god's feet and say you're the one who can handle this because i can't and I think that's where we need to get to because if if a king can do this, like if a king of of Judah can kneel before God and deliver his entire nation's problems mm. to God, he can and God can handle that. He can handle anything that we've got in our lives. But that's such a difficult thing to do, but it's such a humbling thing, and it's exactly what God wants. He wants us in this position, because now we're relying on Him. Right. If I were to put on my armor and climb over the wall and fight in God's name and do it of my own strength, then I would be able to get some credit for it. Right. When you're in your, on your knees without any armor on and 
God is handling it without you, then you get no credit. And he gets all the glory. And he gets all of it, which is what he's all about anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I find really cool is almost, (laughs) it reads almost anticlimactic. Like, Like a movie would say, okay, big battle scene coming up, you know, Millions of dollars spent on the CGI to get get all this to happen. Um, But what we get in the Bible is just a couple of verses. Um, So in 2 Kings 19, let's look at, uh, well, it's a few verses. Let's look at verse um, 32 to 34. Are we going to skip Isaiah's prophecy? No, we already did. No, the... Starting verse 21 all the way through. Uh, well, go for it. I want to read this because I think this is really cool. Okay. All right. So just a couple of things that I think are awesome. Um, so Isaiah sends word back to the king of Assyria again, mm-hmm. or not to the king of Assyria, um, to, to Hezekiah about right. the king of Assyria. And he says, this is what the God is, Lord God has spoken. She despises you. She scorns you. The virgin of daughter, uh, virgin daughter of Zion, and it's talking like uh, to uh, the king of Assyria. Right. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, who is that, by the way? <laughs> the virgin daughter of Zion, the daughter of Jerusalem. Very interesting. Um, whom you have mocked and reviled, against whom you have raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights, against the holy one of Israel. By your messengers you have mocked the Lord. You have said, with my many chariots, I have gone up to the heights of the mountains to be to the far recesses of Lebanon. I felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses. I entered its farthest lodgings, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells, I drank foreign waters, and I dried up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard, and this is what I like, and this is my big thing, yeah. it's the Calvinist in me, have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field, and like tender grass, like grass of the f- housetops, brighten, uh, blightened before it is grown. It's like you didn't do any of that. I, mm. I, I used you to do that. Yeah, yeah. Like you're nothing but my <laughs> my tool. You're nothing. I love that. Yeah. I I proclaim that millions of years ago that you would you would do this. Mm-hmm. But I know you're sitting down. You're going out and you're coming in, and you're raging against me. Because you have raised against me, and your complacently is, complacency is coming to my ears, I will put a hook in your nose. That's big <laughs> symbolism right there. It, uh, yeah, because let me back up for just a second yeah. and talk about the culture yes. of the Assyrians. Now, I don't know, is, is this where you were going? Yes. Okay, well, go ahead. No, you do it. So so this is what they would do. Like, this is how, when it says that they were led away, they would, yeah. they would physically hook them in the nose. And lead them and lead them away because that was uh, a disgrace, a denotation of slavery. Exactly. Like so they they were own, you were owned. You were by no them. more than a bull. That's or, right, or, or a cattle to them at that point. Right. So, so 
when he says, I will put a hook in your nose, he's basically saying, I own you. Mm-hmm. I w- and my bit, I love this, and my bit in your mouth, like you're, <laughs> you're a horse. I will turn you back the way in which you came. Mm-hmm. Like, I own you. You're done. That's it. So I, I just love that, that imagery of, and this is, I believe the truth about Satan, too. God owns Satan. Oh, yeah. We give Satan way too much credit. Yeah. I mean, yes, he's involved. Yes, he is constantly lying in our ears. He's the accuser. He's uh, a lion seeking whom he may devour. Like, all that's true. But don't ever think that the battle between God and Satan is a fair fight. On equal footing. Not at all. God has the high there's, ground there's, always. There's no fight. <laughs> God, God speaks and Satan shuts up. That's right. And fact a lot of my prayers is tell him to gtfo yeah. like <laughs> sorry if that's a little offensive but i mean to me satan's offensive right, right. and so asking god to to silence him and to shut him up and get him out of my life is not a brash thing no. that's something that that says i know you can do this with a word yeah, like I know that there's you no own him. There's no fight here. Uh-uh. Like, like he's just a noisemaker to you, and so and so. Don't think that the Battle of Armageddon is going to be some big war. Like this is not a war. This is like what is it? Is a it, massacre. Is it Spurgeon that says that Satan's no more than no Luther than a rabid dog on a chain? Mm. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love that that image. So, anyways. Um, all right, go ahead. Where are you? Oh, oh, okay, so continuing in 2 Kings 19. I just love this. is in the same rant, I believe. Sure. Um, he says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. So here's the cool thing. You belong to the highest king ever. Like you belong to a God that spoke this universe into creation. And because you are his, because when you give yourself over to him and acknowledge his ownership of you, he's proud of that. And I don't mean that in a simple way. I'm talking about you are his possession that he is jealous of. And so he goes to bat here and he says, (laughs) not only will there not be a war, there won't be an arrow shot. I'm not even going to let this great, mighty nation of Assyria build a siege mound here. Like you're not going to be, there's nothing that is going to happen here. Right. And so what exactly happens? In verse 35, (laughs) it says, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And... As he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adremelech and Sherezar, his sons, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. 
and Azaradon, his son, reigned in his place. So flashback to what Isaiah told them in that very first message. He's going to be drawn away from you. You don't have to listen to him anymore. And then when he gets home, going to end up by getting killed by his by his own house. Right. Yeah, uh, the sword in his own house. Exactly what happened. What happened. And he, here's another thing I think is really cool. Um, and this is debatable, so you know, don't take me to task on this. We should do a theonauts on this, though. On um, um, theophany. Yeah. So a theophany is the... Um, the theory, like it's, it's can be more than a theory, but the idea that um, Jesus um, had made his presence known in Old Testament times, like in certain instances. So a lot of times, um, and I wanted to, you might go, what? That's crazy. But let me give you a couple of examples um, that are, are very big, like uh, on this. So, in Genesis 18, you have this situation where Abraham is dealing with uh, Lot and the people over in Sodom and Gomorrah, and you have that whole debate thing that happens. Well, whenever they come to visit him, it says three messengers showed up, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really, he, he basically worships them, and there's no argument. Like, they don't say, don't worship, don't worship me. me or anything like this, like... He has this this kind of a, a a worship thing that happens, and angels, as have been exemplified, will basically step out of the picture when that happens and go, "Look, I'm not worthy of worship. I'm just a servant, right? Like you." But that doesn't happen in this situation. So there's the thought that the three people that were there were actually part of the Trinity. Um, you can argue that, whatever. But and there's other cases. Jacob wrestling the angel. Jacob wrestling the angel. There's also. Um, Joshua, when Joshua is about to uh, go up against Jericho, right. it says, it uses this term, the captain of the Lord's host showed up. Right. Like, not just an angel. It doesn't say a messenger. It doesn't say, it says the captain of the Lord's host, which we know somebody with that title in the book of Revelation. Revelation. He shows up and tells Joshua, take your shoes off for you're standing on holy ground. And Joshua worships him. Yep. And he doesn't stop him. Right. So these are people theorize that this is a theophany Mm -hmm. or pre-incarnate appearance of of part of the Trinity. So this is another, the way this is worded, it says the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of Assyrians. So it is possible, not saying this is for sure, so don't give me, don't freak out on me. <laughs> it is possible that this could be a theophany. And if so, the imagery is amazing. Right. Like the the imagery, the the metaphor. God the, himself. Yes. He showed up and destroyed my enemies himself. That's powerful. Yeah. Like that reigns, that resonates with me. Right. Like, because I know he will defeat my enemies. I know that that he will defeat like my internal enemies, like the ones I struggle with. The your demons. Yeah, if we want to label it. <laughs> <laughs> However they are, I know that he can defeat these things. Uh I just have to let him. Amen. And have to get out of his way. Trust. So yeah, um Trust and obey. Yeah. 
So the story of Hezekiah, it's an amazing thing. Like it's, um, I want the faith of Hezekiah. Man, do I want the faith of Hezekiah. I want to be able to take that that letter and throw it at the foot of Jesus, at the foot of the 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 ark and say, this is too big for me. You got you got to handle this for me. Right. And um, how powerful it is when we simply lay things down and say, God, you've got to take it. Yeah. And allow him to take it. And totally destroy our enemies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All awesome. right. You got some news for us, man? Hey, let's do it. And now the news. All right, so a new report from Barna. Um, it's about millennials, of course. <laughs> so the goal of the report was to better understand what Christian millennials believe about the gospel and sharing their faith in general. The vast majority agreed with statements like the best thing that could ever happen to someone is to know Jesus, and they know how to respond when someone raises questions about faith. Uh, things took a turn, and it was really weird. Almost half of millennials, 47% agree, millennial Christians, agree at least somewhat that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Hmm. How can you reconcile those two things? So basically, 47% of Christian millennials believe that it's wrong to do evangelism. Or somehow against... It's a a total misunderstanding of the gospel. Yeah. And I think, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm members of a lot of different Facebook groups. One of the Facebook groups is this Bible faith book group. It's not Reform Pub or anything. But they took a poll, and the poll was, how many of you would label yourself or believe in evangelism? Right, mm-hmm. that word evangelism has completely changed. Like the the definition of evangelism has changed to where most people were going, no, we don't like evangelism mm. because they they think it's a political term somehow now that hmm. that equates to like white right, non tolerance, right? Yeah, r- white right wing non tolerant Christians, yeah. Where or the word evangelist or evangelism simply means sharing the gospel. Yeah. Which, I mean, everybody should be... Evangelion. Sure. It's crazy uh, to me. I, I don't. I just, I don't understand that. So it's shocking that 47% of Christian quote-unquote uh, millennials believe that it's bad to share your faith. I think that... I think that, that, I mean, isn't that our biggest command <laughs> besides worship? Um, let's see. So I don't know how much you've been reading about the the report on sex abuse among Southern Baptists. Mm, um, no. So uh, the Houston Chronicle has been doing a, a big expose in... It's been a huge downfall of Southern Baptist churches and sexual abuse and misconduct that's been going on, almost to the to the standards of like the Vatican. Um, the third and final part of the Houston Chronicle, San Antonio Express News, devastating investigative report on the sex abuse crisis in the Southern Baptist Convention. 
newspaper turned their event attention to youth pastors and youth ministries. They uncovered at least 100 Southern Baptist youth ministers currently in jail uh, that have registered as sex offenders or have been charged with sex crimes. In several cases, these predators were able to leave one church and get rehired at another church, since the SBC does not keep a database of former employees who've been accused <clears throat> of sexual abuse. Hmm. So there's this huge, big scan- scandal going on. J.D. Greer, who's the the um, the Southern Baptist uh, Pope, <laughs> he's the <laughs> Southern, he's the he's the president of the Southern Baptist convention has mentioned that we should disfellowship any church that has hired a um rehired a sexual predator mm-hmm. um so there's been a lot of them um but so that's that's a big thing going on and you should follow that um in the news it's just it's really sad that more and more of this stuff is coming out Wow. about sexual misconduct and it breaks my heart because uh, you know I was a long term member of the Southern Baptist denomination and seeing that happen to our own denomination quote unquote was shocking so uh, James McDonald um, Harvest Bible Chapels big guy um, he's just been fired uh, in the wake of shocking alleged comments Um uh, if you don't know Harvest Bible Chapter Chapel, maybe been living in Iraq, but it's a Chicago-based uh, multi-site um, mega church that has churches all over the country now, and started on the ministry of Pastor McDonald. Anyways, Harvest Bible Chapter Chapel has fired its founder and senior pastor James McDonald following years of controversial behavior, financial scandal, and allegations of bullying and intimidation. A lot like what what happened with, uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, my goodness, I'm drawing a blank now. Emory led worship for him. Uh, Mark Driscoll? Mark Driscoll, thank you, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, in fact, Mark Driscoll and James McDonald were basically brothers in arms, cut from the same cloth. They did a lot of stuff together. In a statement written by church elders, the Chicago Mega Church said that they fired McDonald for engaging in conduct contrary and harmful to the best in- interests in the church. Following a le- lengthy season of review, reflection, and prayerful discussion, the elders had determined that Pastor McDonald should be removed from his role as senior pastor. The timeline accelerated when, on Tuesday morning, highly inappropriate recorded comments made by Pastor McDonald were given to the media and reported. This decision was made with heavy hearts and much time spent in earnest prayer, followed by input and in various trusted outside advisors. Uh, the decision comes after an explosive scandal, scandalous period at Harvard at Harvest, including a botched excommunication, an ill-fated attempt at a defamation lawsuit, a scathing investigative report from World Magazine, and then the most recent shocking revelation on Tuesday, Chicago shock jock and one-time friend of McDonald aired a series of clips featuring someone who sounds like McDonald making offensive comments in the clips. <laughs> the wow. person yeah, who sounds like McDonald talks about a plot to plant child pornography on Christianity what? Today. Yeah, on Christianity Today, CEO Harold Smith's computer. Mm. He felt like Harold Smith was against him somehow. He also makes vulgar comments about Wheaton College executive director of Billy Graham Center, Ed Stetzer, and repeatedly degrades Julie Roy's 
the reporter who wrote on the World Magazine story. All this comes on the heels of another scandal. Following the International World Report, McDonald announced he would be taking a sabbatical, but suggested he may shall occasionally pe- preach at a Harvard-affiliated church in Florida. The pastor of the church, John uh, Seacrest, said he would be uncomfortable with McDonald preaching at his church and asked Harvest to sever their affiliations. For this, according to David Harold, Seacrest was fired. Our elders and staff are committed to fulfilling our fiduciary duty as the leadership of this congregation, knowing that at times the outcome may be misunderstood and emotionally painful. Um, it's it's kind of shocking. And now the report came out today there's an alleged sexual misconduct suit being filed on McDonald by a previous worship leader chick. Oh, wow. From Harvest. So pray for Harvest. It's an awesome church. I don't know if you've heard anything about it. My brother and sister-in-law actually attend a Harvest-affiliated church. Oh, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. in Kansas City. <clears throat> and they actually just got out from under the Harvest moniker mm-hmm. a lot because of what's going on. Yeah. Right now, and so just pray for that church because there's a lot of great people that go there, and that church has over a hundred, two hundred thousand members wow. attending. So, can you imagine that? Mm. Now for something a little lighter. <laughs> two very harsh things. Uh, ben Benedict Cumberbatch is going to play Satan <laughs> in a new Amazon series called Good Omens. Wow. Yeah. So let's uh, see. Sherlock, Khan, and <laughs> Satan. Doctor Strange and Satan. <laughs> the show's final two roles, the voices of God and Satan, have been cast with Francis McDormand voicing God and Benedict Cumberbatch, the man behind the dragon smog. <laughs> Francis McDormand is God. Yes. Okay. Once we're touching his voice with evil to lend a mouthpiece to the devil himself. This is going to be interesting. Good Omens is a satirical story about a cosmic battle between heaven and hell as the armies of God and the devil amass a jaded angel and a carefree demon question whether they really want to end the world and stop their work with humanity. Meanwhile, the Antichrist is missing. Not a great situation overall. (laughs) It's actually a book. And it says the book is really good. Huh. Like, it's com- it's it's all satire. It's comedy. Right. Have you heard about the other satire comical show? I think it's... It might be on Amazon, too. Uh, it has Buscemi playing God. Steve Buscemi? Yeah. No. And... Uh, that is kind of funny, though, because Buscemi and <laughs> Francis McDormand were both in Fargo. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Yeah. What's the what's the name of that? And uh uh Harry Potter, what's his name? Plays uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. Plays uh the angel secretary to him. Wow. And like God's decided that he's just going to kill everybody and you know, he's done with it. And <clears throat> Daniel Radcliffe is trying to convince him not to. Mm. So this is all another min- miniseries. It's so crazy. The DC. There's uh, no good theology in Hollywood. No. Like, what in the world? Terrible. DC, uh, you know, they were going to make that comic book. Do you remember the last time I did the ref- did the news? Yeah, yeah, about Jesus the superhero. Yeah, or Jesus the superhero mm-hmm. is like getting training from yeah. 
they can't they canceled it because there was so much Christian backlash. Really, like there were protests at DC. Yeah, like people were going and saying, "Stop making idols of Jesus." Like it's so funny to me. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. So, anyways, that's all I got for news, man. Okay, I got to add one more. Yeah. I gotta, oh, <laughs> I forgot the. I, I forgot to pull this up. Okay. Go ahead. On the Christian Chronicle. Yeah. <clears throat> Alexa responds to a minister's call and orders toilet paper. <laughs> Church member watching online miraculously finds $28 worth of Angel Soft in her shopping cart. <laughs> when Phil Brookman preaches, even Alexa listens and dutifully <laughs> obeys. Brookman is a minister of the Memorial Road Church of Christ in Oklahoma City and was delivering a Sunday message from 1 Corinthians 12 when his sermon illustrated nearly uh, resulted in the purchase of $28 worth of toilet paper. In the sermon, the sermon titled Great Greet One Another was based on the Apostle Paul's admonition that the church function as one body with many parts. In addition to the audience of more than a thousand worshipers gathered for the congregation's early service, numerous believers watched the sermon online through the church's video streaming service. One of them was Bethany Becknell, and she was at home with a sick child, Eli. Her husband, Wes, attended Memorial Road's first service with their other son, Cam. Brookman preached about how easy it is in the 21st century for Christians to live separate lives and to fail to see the need for the kind of unity Paul advocates. Even shopping has become depersonalized, Brookman said. Instead of going to Walmart and interacting with other humans, one need only say, Alexa, order toilet paper. And from the master bathroom in her house, Bethany Becknell heard a polite female voice say, okay, I've added it to your cart. <laughs> the voice was, was that of her Amazon Echo speaker, which can play music and set alarms and respond to voice commands. Oh, and order things from Amazon.com. So anyway, I thought it was funny that that's uh, awesome that the preacher ordered toilet paper for this woman, <laughs> and it just shows up. So I was like, okay, so we have a unique opportunity here at the Theonauts <laughs> because you are obviously listening to this via streaming. So, <laughs> so Alexa. Order toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait, we, wanna, we don't want to leave anybody out. Hey, Google, order toilet paper. <laughs> now you let us know if that worked. <laughs> hey, Siri, order some toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So we're going to see how much toilet paper you actually end up Actually, with. you have to say, okay, Google, order toilet paper. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's a different command. So, oh, sorry. And no problem. I don't have that. I know. You're an iPod <laughs> dude. Anyway, so you let us know if that worked out. We we want to see. Yeah, you can thank us later. Right. <laughs> or, you know, bill us. <laughs> yeah, don't expect a response from that. That's hilarious. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and stay up to date with all our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and The Secret Fire Podcast. Visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com. 
or call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at The Old Nautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. If you like us and want more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. And don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right. Thanks for being here, Jeremiah. Thank you, David. God bless. See you next week. Yes. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission Transmission at GCTNetwork.com. They're possibly cloning an army of giant Al-Qaeda guys. Uh...